Well, what a joy the T20 World Cup was here in Australia and a team that lit up the tournament as much as anybody else there was the Netherlands. Delighted to be joined by Ryan Campbell to talk all things Dutch cricket in well, I was going to say the aftermath of, of the tournament, but I think the aftermath is probably the wrong word. There's still very much a buzz uh, in regards to it, Cambo. Congratulations on a, on a great campaign. And, and what are your, your kind of thoughts and, and feelings right now just sitting here and reflecting on it as we, as we speak? Oh, look, reflecting, it, it's almost a bit like a proud father, to be honest. It's, uh, it had been a long road. Um, you know, my time in the Netherlands started in 2017 and and to be honest, the goal was always to be going to an Australian World Cup and doing well with, especially with our fast bowlers that we had. And of course, you know, in 2019, when we won the qualifiers, we thought we were going to Australia, but COVID ended that. So it was a bit delayed, but, you know, to get there in the end and then to do so well, to get through the Super 12s, to be honest, was the, the major goal. And from then, really compete against the big boys and show what Dutch cricket could have. The hope was always, obviously, to be in the top eight, which would then qualify us for the next World Cup. And, you know, I probably didn't uh, think it was going to come down to the last day and us having to beat South Africa, if I'm very truthful. But that was just an amazing finish to what has been a wonderful five and a half, nearly six years for me. So, yeah, I, I leave with a lot of smiles, a lot of great memories, a lot of friendships. And, um, you know, knowing that the Dutch are into the next World Cup is a pretty good way to go. We could start in so many places here, Camber, but I think it would be remiss for us not to acknowledge your year in general. It's been one that that's you've seen a lot of, a lot of press, a lot of media attention. And quite frankly, it's a miracle that, you know, you're still around with us after everything that happened. So, Taking kind of that in and, and sort of reflecting again, just, just how good is it to kind of sit here and, and be able to just talk cricket and, and just to reflect on the way that the Dutch have performed, but also you and your professional career, you've had, you know, a, an enjoyable time, I'm sure, for the Netherlands on top of, you know, other parts of, of emerging cricket. We know that you worked with Tim in depth in, in Hong Kong as well. It's been quite the year, the year for you. Uh, yeah, thanks, mate. It, it's, um, you know, obviously starting 2022, um, never thought that I was going to go over a speed hump like we did in April. Um, you know, on April 16th, as as we all know, that, uh, you know, I had a cardiac arrest and over spent seven days in an induced coma where I'm told I died 15 times or something. Um, you know, when, when you told those stories, it kind of, you know, at the time, I have no memory of those seven days. So basically, I, I remember going to the airport at Skipole and then waking up in a hospital, asking my wife, why am I in Bali? And that's pretty much all, you know, my memories and my, um, you know, when I look back, it's, but learning and, and, you know, going deeper and hearing the stories. And, and to be honest, when we were in Geelong, I celebrated six months of still being here. And I had guys fly in from Hong Kong, from America, from Perth, from Sydney, from Melbourne. Uh, they all came to meet to celebrate. And, and that was you know, a, a wonderful moment and, and a few days where I could just sort of embrace the blokes and, and hear their stories also of how they heard and what they went through. And, you know, it kind of, you know, obviously I'm very gracious that I'm still here and pretty humbling experience, to be honest, with, you know, people talking about you in such nice ways and um, the support from all over the world that I received and my family particularly. And when you go through something like that, I, I think there's not too many people could say that, I went through that and I have an opportunity to reset my life. You know, you you work out what your priorities are. 
obviously my my young family and my wonderful wife who went through a week of hell that's for sure uh, number one on my list and then it also came very clear to me that I love this game you know I've been involved in it professionally for 30 years and I love every single part about it and that was I think a big factor in me wanting to finish at the World Cup was that was always my goal when I first started with the Netherlands and you know, to get back fit, strong and healthy, to be able to travel and, and, and go to the World Cup in Australia. See family and friends at the ground, you know, my mum, you know, watching us play in Perth, although that was an absolute <laughs> shocking performance <laughs> by us. But, you know, that, that that was fantastic. So it was a great time for me to finish. And um, I'll always be very thankful for what I've done here with the Netherlands. But more importantly, I'll be very thankful for, for my health and, and still being here kicking and, and you know, kicking a football in the park with my son and, and taking my daughter to dance lessons on a Saturday and all those sort of wonderful things I get to do now. Have a have a, a beer and a wine with my wife in, in peace and quiet and actually just sort of uh, enjoy the surroundings of where we've been. And I know that without sounding too deep, but that that's probably the thing, that the factor that's come through now to how you enjoy those little moments in life. It's, it's not about oh, living your life like it's your last day and all that sort of stuff. That was never you know, a part of it. It was just enjoying the little moments. And like I say, being in Australia and watching the boys go about their work and, you know, winning those games against South Africa and Zimbabwe, they're those moments that, you know, I would have always loved that, but I really, really loved watching it, uh, you know, go about how they went about it and, and winning and stuff. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a big year, but I've no doubt there'll be more challenges thrown my way in 2023 and we'll see how we go. Well, having finished with the Netherlands, as you allude to, and yeah, I guess, uh, as you say, kind of reassessing a little bit, where is Ryan Campbell going next? Uh, <laughs> I know potentially there might be a, a bit of a confidentiality around that, but uh, in, anything you can tell us? Um, look, what, what I have, what I do know is that um, for the last 10 years, 10 and a half years or something, I've been deeply emerged in the in the associate game and, and the associate world. And I think, I guess, you know, I'm hoping that people will say I always flew the flag for the associate teams and not just the Dutch. It was always about, you know, promoting the associate game. And I, I think I've done that as, as well as I could. But oh, I, I think my next step will actually be out of associate cricket. I think it'll end up being somewhere in one of the either England, Australia, or somewhere like that, and and that's not because I don't love the the associate game anymore. It, it's been awesome, but there comes a point where you get a bit tired of always having to battle and fight and and work, and, and sometimes you just want to be in a full. Everyone's a professional. The whole system's uh, run before you, and you you know you're just tinkering with things, not actually trying to remodel a whole, a whole version. You don't need to worry about buying new balls or something when when the guys hit a six. No, we're not trying to steal um, turf balls from the opposition when they're having to, uh, <laughs> we can, uh, throwdowns and stuff. We I don't have to do that anymore. But um, look, like I say, I, I've loved every moment. In associate cricket, and and I'll always have associate cricket at heart, and I'll always fly the flag at any opportunity that I can do. And you know, if if my next post gives me the opportunity to have an associate team come and play against us or something like that, then you know, I'll, I'll be of course going out of my way to do that. So, yeah, I, I think I'm hoping that within the next couple of weeks, I'll, I'll know exactly where I'm headed. And um, I, I think the very again, I've, I've spoken about being gracious and a bit humbling, but. Since the World Cup, I've been lucky enough to have some opportunities being thrown my way. And I guess that's a reflection of, I think, people realise that I've done a 
not a bad job and, and hopefully I can help their program. So yeah, fingers crossed within the next few weeks we'll uh, we'll know where we're going. Well, yeah, and, and I guess looking at that Netherlands performance at the World Cup and one of the things we kind of alluded to off air was the better preparation that came along with it and thinking back to sort of a compare and contrast maybe between this year and last year. You know, the fact that you guys played almost no preparation compared to the 2019 qualifier where you played, I think, sort of 10, 15 matches to get ready and you were a lot better prepared this year. And, you know, that showed. And we also had the Super League, which improved a lot of the guys' cricket. So just talk about how these two campaigns were different and, and I guess what was better this time. You know, going into the last World Cup uh, in the UAE, we, we literally hadn't played a game. You know, COVID had, had struck. We hadn't had our county blokes join the team in so long it wasn't funny. And, you know, when you're going into a big tournament, I think Namibia had played something like 23 or 24 games going into that World Cup where, you know, we had played none. And even the week that we were in the UAE after our um, – uh, we were locked, obviously locked in our quarantine rooms for a week and then, you know, getting through that, you know, we got out, we couldn't play anyone. And, and that was, I'm not saying it was anyone's fault, but, it, you know, someone's got to be responsible for that. And, and it wasn't great. We knew it wasn't great. And what that does for a team is, as a coaching staff, I've got a pretty good idea of what our best 11 is and what we want to play, but you're not quite sure because blokes were in and out of form and, and we weren't quite sure where we were going to play, which guy where and which were our best four fast bowlers or were we going to play three fast bowlers or four like we had done before. And there was a lot of confusion and blokes were just out of form. You know, Ryan Tenskata was coming in without really playing uh, too much cricket for Essex because he'd missed the last few games and was a little bit out of form. And, yeah, it just went downhill very quickly. Um, obviously, that first game, I think we lost four wickets and four balls, which was uh, ridiculous against Ireland, and we never recovered. So, you know, thankfully, we learnt our lessons and the powers that be here learnt their lessons and actually listened this time. And, um, you know, we made sure that, you know, some of the guys went to Cape Town for a while. Then they went to Adelaide uh, and played some games there and trained outdoors, getting used to the conditions. Then they went up to Brisbane uh, and played some games against the Heat and Queensland second 11. And then by the time we got to Melbourne for those warm-up games, even though we lost against Scotland, that those games aren't about winning or losing. It's really about making sure you're ready to go by then. And, and we were. We were ready to go. And even, you know, when we got washed out against the West Indies at the MCG, there was no panic. It was, yes, it was disappointing because everyone wanted to play at the MCG, of course, but the facts were we had so much under our belt that everyone was very confident that we were ready to go. And, you know, when we went to Geelong, the, the wickets were pretty poor, to be honest. Um, so it became a scrap, and that's right up our alley. You know, the, we, we love that sort of stuff, that scrappy sort of play. And, you know, again, I thought our fast bowling was magnificent. And, you know, we did enough with the bat to get over the line. Again, we won our first two games, but because of the upset of Sri Lanka, we went into that last game still looking like we were not going to make it. But um, as I may have mentioned to the lads, that my old mate Lazarus, who came back from the dead after a few days, which they call me now, <laughs> you're, never out of the, you're never out of these competitions. And, you know, we sat and we watched the UAE get over the line somehow and, you know, obviously you saw that sort of stuff on Twitter, the, the celebrations of, and that was just, I think, just relief, to be honest, of, of 
such a hard yards and, no, and don't get me wrong no one deserves anything in, in world sport and elite sport it's all about you know performances and stuff but you know something had to come our way eventually and it did to the to the UAE and then I think we then passed that on to Pakistan in that last game we uh we we paid it forward uh in in advance of that that's for sure so um <laughs> yeah, it, it it was a fantastic performance. But again, man, it's like anything. You, you, if you go back to Scotland, for instance, Scotland beat the West Indies. But to be honest, Scotland were well below their best during this tournament. And they had only played two T20 matches since the last World Cup. Man, it's not rocket science. These, our associate teams, if you're not playing, you will not be ready for big tournaments. You, you might get past associate teams because you're all in the same sort of bundle. But if you want to play against the big boys, you have to be playing. And, and, and I've no doubt that the Super League put us in such good stead that the Bustalators, uh, the Vikram Stings, the, these sort of guys, Cherise, I mean, they played against the, some of the best players in the world. So they weren't taken back anymore they they were like okay well this is what it is let's go and that is what the super league did for us and no one should ever ever forget that and it's just a shame it's gone yeah uh we've talked a lot about the i guess i would say just stupidity of, of binning it but we, we can get to that in a sec i'm just interested in you talking about scrapping and and having to play scrappy cricket and i, I especially think of that game against Namibia, you know, where it looked like you guys were choking and you, know, you just kind of thought, oh, here we go again. But but Bastilator came out and played an innings, which I don't think he probably could have played, you know, even a year, sort of 18 months ago, where he just, he was calm and, and he carried the whole team on his shoulders, really. Wickets were tumbling at the other end, but, you know, he kept his head and, and got you guys home in the last over. And that sort of play... I guess this is something else you've said, and you know the the team who panics last wins, and and <laughs> it looked like you were going to panic, but you 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 just managed to hold on. And again, that's kind of just what happens when you play a whole bunch of cricket against good teams. And just just talk about how I mean, I guess m- maybe how you were feeling um, with that game against Namibia, but also looking a bit more broadly, how that fits into the the kind of Netherlands ethos of of not panicking. Yeah, well, you know, I, I guess one of my um, foundation stones as a coach is always to install calmness and a never panic mentality. Like you say, it's an old adage, but um, he panics last wins. And, you know, what, what, I, what I think, if you cast your mind back to the Zimbabwe uh, qualifiers, I think what you saw there was an unbelievable professional team, the Dutch, and that's what our standard had been set from all the Super League games. Straight out of that, we were clearly the best team there and played accordingly. And Buster later in the semi-final against, um, you know, the USA made that, that masterly 90-odd and shouldered the burden again because that's the good player that he had been and is going to be. And despite all the, the stick I've caught for continued to play him over the years, um, he's an amazing talent for Dutch cricket and, and we need to embrace that. But in the Namibian game, in all honesty, mate, there was no panic. If you actually have a look at the dismissals, I was quite happy with the way guys were going out because what had happened, we had set a platform and then our incoming batsman had decided, okay, you're going to play aggressive because we didn't really want it to go to the last over. It did in the end, but you know they could play with a bit of freedom because we had wickets in hand. They could play with freedom and try and end it. And look, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But as long as there was a constant at the other end, 
which Buster later was always going to be, I didn't think we were ever going to lose that game. And I know that sounds weird and you could say, oh, oh mate, it was this, that. You know what? I, I, I was, I've seen it all before. But speaking to the guys afterwards individually, their idea was sound. Their theory was correct. It was, you know, Tom Cooper, Colin Ackerman, these sort of guys are ball strikers and they, we had earned the right to have a bit of freedom because we had started so well. You know, Vikram and Max had got us almost over the line as it is. Yes, would have been nice to only be two down. Of course it is. But in T20, that sort of happens occasionally, and especially on difficult wickets. So, yeah, maybe it's me in the aftermath going, oh, yeah, we're always going to win that. And I was probably a bit more nervous than what I thought. But <laughs> Never in doubt. <laughs> never in doubt. It was, But like I say, T20 cricket is all about the intent, the thought process, what a guy's thinking, was it negative thoughts or was it positive? As long as their theory and their idea of how they were going to play that innings is correct, if it's a skill error and you make a mistake, that happens. That's human nature. But if it's the wrong plan, then we're in trouble because that means that we haven't learnt and we haven't, we, we, we're not grasping the situation. Your persistence with, with Buzz Delater, I think now you can sort of feel very vindicated by his performances over the, the course of not just this tournament, but as you mentioned at the qualifier and over the last 12 months. And again, it, it leans into the idea of, you know, you play more elite cricket. Chances are you become more consistent and better as a player. How satisfying was it for, for you to kind of see the true Baz Delater emerge, you know, onto the world stage as a top-class player? You know, it, he's not just a top-class player in, say, the first round of the event. He was someone that, that put his hand up throughout the Super 12s, I spoke to Ricky Ponting in the lead-up to uh, the Super 12 stage, and he already uh, made a, a big point about raving about someone like Buzz Delater. Just how good was it to kind of see him truly blossom at this World Cup, you know, when the going got tough? Yeah, of course. Again, it's like that proud uh, father moment. But, um, you know, the facts are that in the associate world, and it's a bit different in, you know, the big leagues, England, Australia, all those sort of places where there's a massive talent pool, and good players come, and if they're out of form, they probably get pushed aside, and then hopefully they come back because there's someone else that's going to take their place. Well, sometimes in the associate world, you don't have that. And so when you find something that you think is very special, you have to nurture them. You have to give them opportunities, and you have to surround them with you know, some senior heads that can be calm and, go th- and help him get through it. But I was very literally unwavering in my support of Buster Later that this kid could bat from three to seven, could bowl first change or could open the bowl if he wants. He was clocked at 140 kilometres an hour this year um, in the Netherlands and is the best fielder in Europe. So why would we waver from our belief in that kid, even though he has some bad games? And remember, he had two stress fractures of his back. So he went through periods when we sent him to the um, MCCYCs where he couldn't bowl. So he had to go through all that. And and Buss is a, a very much a confidence person that his bowling is important to his batting. It, it's like myself as a wicketkeeper. And Adam Gilchrist and I, we talk about it all the time. Our batting came through when we kept really well because that was our number one part of our, our game. But if we dropped a catch, we knew we could make 100. Or if we didn't make any runs, we knew we could still have a factor on the game with our glove work. So... You know, for for Buss as an all rounder, that we had to be slow with him. We had to take it. We had to take our time. And now we're starting to get the fruits of the labour. And let me tell you, there's so many people jumping on the old bandwagon now. You know, the same people that were giving me hard time, you know, 18 months ago and and 12 months ago, suddenly, oh, buses, this, buses, that. It's like, give me a break, mate. You guys uh, jumped off that bandwagon <laughs> pretty quickly, but 
Again, it's a good story that Buss has got here. There's other stories that don't go so well. And, you know, as a coach, you've got to hang your hat and say, oh, well, that didn't quite work. But, you know, for me, Vikram Singh, Shariz Ahmed, who I took to New Zealand when he hadn't even played a top class again, Ali and Dutt, these three got, come from our under-19 system. We have to give them opportunities to play. And I guess if I ever made a mistake as coach, and we all make mistakes, my mistake has always been to err on, on playing the kids, not the old, real old blokes, which can happen in associate world. And if that was a fault, so be it. But I think right now you can see the future coming in from literally appearing in front of your eyes in Dutch cricket. And that's, I think, something that I'll always hang my hat on. Well, this kind of leads in pretty well to the, the next topic, which is maybe looking a bit back on, on your time with the Netherlands over the last five years. That's a, a pretty decent stretch of time to, you know, to mould a team. How would you say your approach kind of evolved over the last few years? Uh, you know, your first job as a head coach and, and I guess growing into that role. And what's something you're really proud of with the Netherlands and, and having, you know, having had that team for, for so long? I'll, I'll be honest, when I first started, I was pretty abrasive. Um, because I took over a, a team that, yes, had, would have good performances here and there, and we knew there was amazing talent amongst the squad, but I think I needed to change the whole professionalism of the squad and how Dutch cricket looked at international cricket. I think there was very much a feeling of how do we survive to the next round of financial instalments of, um, you know, what can we do to make sure we get ICC funding and all that sort of stuff. So, I guess the, the changing of that culture was pretty tough at the start where, you know, we I was pretty aggressive with that and, and we lost a couple of players along the way because they didn't want to come into the professional world. And that's that's always a little bit tragic, but sadly in, in our world, sometimes you've got to sacrifice one for the greater good. And we, we probably did that with a couple of guys and that gave – some breathing space for our young players to take opportunities. Um, you know, Max O'Dowd had never opened the batting We're not before I came. Fred Clusson wasn't even thought of when I came. But these guys worked and they embraced that. Let's become more professional. Let's be a working class team who literally fights for every inch, for every run, for every wanting to get into a scrap. And I think I was helped firstly by Peter Boren and then Peter Saylor, who were both outstanding leaders who embraced what we wanted to do and wanted to take Dutch cricket forward. And, yeah, I, I guess the, the proudest thing that I can say is we've got to where we got to. We, this squad has won the World Cricket League. Due to that, we were able to play in the Super League. Due to that, we had TV. It was live cricket, the Dutch team, into the Netherlands for the first time in the history of Dutch cricket, which then therefore can inspire the next generation of, of Dutch kids. We've been to two World Cups now. The latest one, obviously, was was a fantastic performance. We'll go to the next World Cup as well. So looking back, I think the, the people, the players' improvement has been outstanding. I think we've got some real world-class players now that people talk about. And the fact that the attitude has changed from, oh, we're just an associate to, you know what, no, we want to be one of the big boys. We're, we're going to go up against the big guys and we're going to fight and we're going to, we want to be tested against the best. And, the administration side of things have tried to catch up as well. There's been times where the team's become so professional and so good that the administration was lagging behind a bit, but that happens. And, and they've also learned some wonderful lessons as well on the way, and they're doing a great job, you know, trying to 
promote this team and, and get it out there. And I guess us by us giving them opportunities, you don't get to play against India and Pakistan and Bangladesh, three of the most watched sporting teams on the planet very often. And hopefully they're, they're using those things to cash in. We need to go and talk about the South Africa game for so many different reasons. I think, one, first and foremost, I, I think you guys outplayed them in, in all three facets. Put a, a good enough performance in with the bat, fielded excellently, bowled really well, stuck to the guns there. That roll-off and a Merva catch, I'll never forget. You, you guys had, you know... Uh, the likes of Bangladesh and Pakistan cheering you on as well. What's the dynamic like when you're in that situation? Not only you guys trying to win, finish in the top four to finish in the top eight of the tournament to qualify for 2024, but then you've got, you know, other groups of, of fans basically singing <laughs> Dil Dil Netherlands in the hope that, that you guys get the result that helps them sort of get over the line eventually. Can you kind of sum up that day for us? Because it looked crazy from, from the outside. Yeah, mate, it, it was an awesome day, obviously. Um, for me, it was, again, I wasn't the head coach at, at the World Cup. We all know that. You know, Ryan Cook had done a really good job as the interim coach, and it was decided that it was probably better with me knowing that I was leaving as well, that he keep going. But I guess for me as, as a person, the one thing that I had made very clear to the Dutch T20 cricket team we had a very clear formula of how we were going to be successful. And sometimes when you go away from that, it doesn't work. And against Bangladesh, we, it didn't work, which I disagreed with the way we were going, but that's just my opinion. But a very clear and simple game plan. We bat first, we make 160, which is 162 is the, total, is the average score of every T20 game. If you sum them all up, as 162 generally wins or you're in the game. So for us, work out a way to make 160, whichever way you can get there, then you field well and you bowl well. We could always defend with our bowling attack. And that was a very simple, even childish way of looking at T20 cricket. But sometimes the simplest plans are the best. And that's what we did. We made 158. We went out and fielded the house down, but our bowling was just gun and brought constant pressure. And when you win a game like that, Yes, the elation and, you know, the emotions are going through the roof. And then, but then when I sit down afterwards and I sat with my assistant, James Hilditch, who, you know, has been with me for the whole time. And he looked at me and he just said, you've got this wonderful smile and, and acknowledgement and, and feeling of glow about you. And I said, and he said, what's that about? He goes, I just said, mate, what's our T20 plan? Bat first, make 160, field well, defend our asses off. And that's what we did. And we just showed it against one of the best teams in the world with the added pressure of a World Cup and all that. It works. And, and that, to me, as a coach, was, I, I guess, sort of saying, well, I wasn't wrong all those years if that's how we wanted to go about our career because it, it, had, it works and it's successful. And, of course, there's different stages where you bat second and you chase and, you know, sometimes you need to make 180, 190. Of course that happens. But if you get a blueprint that suits your team, and our team suits that, we're not a massive scoring team. We don't have, at the moment, an opener apart from, uh, you know, Max O'Dowd, who, who scores at 190 or 200. We don't have guys down the order except for a Tom Cooper who scores at, you know, a 200 uh, strike rate. So us scoring 180, 190, probably not going to happen too many times. But we can be a really good team making 160 because we have the best bowling attack in, in associate cricket for sure. And that, what, what we've shown, and I saw one of those stats, it was the most wickets ever taken by a fast bowling brigade at a World Cup. So we can also do it on a world stage against the best. So, yeah, for me, that's what's summed up the day. And, of course, throw in the elation of 
getting through to a, to another World Cup. This finality of saying goodbye to all my players and you know the hugs and the and, and the high fives and the, and the tears that we shared. That was just a, a wonderful way to end. And I'm sure you would have got some messages from the likes of Scotland and Ireland knowing that you've helped them in terms of their qualification for future pathways, well, for 2024 at least, talking about just how competitive that region is and only having two spots and having at least three giants in that region, not to mention you know, the likes of, of Germany and others. So I know it's somewhat of a relief. And at, at some point, you, you don't really want to turn around and say, oh, look, we, we don't want to go through that again. But, you know, in fairness, you know, with how fickle T20 cricket can be, that's just something that you just don't want to think about too much and you can focus on other things. Just how relieved were you guys when you when you won that game, finished in the top four and, and sat there and realised, oh, don't need to worry about 2024 qualification now. You know, the beers were flowing, but also we had one eye on the other games because obviously we needed India to beat Zimbabwe, we needed Pakistan to beat Bangladesh. Yeah. So, mate, they, you know, I love the ICC, but sometimes they come up with these things that, in ways that, you know, it sounds great and fair to the whole world, but doesn't take into account the realities of, of life and cricket. Ireland, Scotland and the Netherlands have shown that we are bloody good teams and deserve pretty much, if we play at our best, to be at World Cups. And to only have two spots coming out of Europe and no disrespect to my old mate Timmy Cutler and Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea and all that. But the facts are Papua New Guinea have to beat Vanuatu and they go through to a World Cup. Canada will probably only have to beat Bermuda because the USA are already as a co-host already in, so they got a spot. And you talk about I'm 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 not confident at all about that. I mean, yeah, these guys don't don't get me started on Canada. <laughs> things can happen. Don't get things can happen. But but again, you, then then what will happen? I know what's going to happen. There's going to be a few teams get in there. And again, I think Uganda might get in there, which I think is a great story. I love Uganda. Don't get me wrong, but what I can see happening is then you go to this World Cup and some teams will be blown out of the water and everyone will go, oh, see, what it, what's everyone on about? But you might have some of the best associate teams not getting there yeah. because of the qualica- qualifications and all this sort of stuff. So, look, there's no easy answer because I know that Cutsy will be listening to this saying, what's Cambo on about? Of course Vanuatu deserve to go to the World Cup. We're awesome. And they are. And Every country deserves to go. But, yeah, uh, again, there is no easy answer to this because I think the ranking system is flawed as well. The way it, the way it all works, it's – mate, it's – there is no easy – and that's why I say I love the people who work at the ICC because they've got a thankless job. They work their butts off and they try to come up with ways to make world cricket a great place. So this one is one of those ones that I'm just going <laughs> to – I can say this now – sit back relax and watch and see how it plays out and hopefully the best teams get there and then hopefully the World Cup is the best teams and is is a showcase of our great sport. Oh yeah, I well I I'm just still uh, thinking about that South Africa game and I, I just can't I can't help thinking about 2014 when um you know, when the Netherlands had a golden opportunity to beat South Africa. And a couple of the guys were there. Um, Steph Myberg hit a half century to get them off to a good start. I think Tom Cooper might have been, maybe Logan Van Bake as well. And they, they ended up back in 2014 
I think about five runs short in a in a chase where you know they needed 30 runs or seven overs or something you know that they had it in the bag and the poor Dutch sort of out choked to the South Africans but you know this time around they didn't and I I, I know Peter Boren who was captain then was on the coaching staff as well so I'm I'm just interested in how finally getting over the line against South Africa when they probably should have done it a little while ago you know I, I just kind of wonder how how that played out internally with with some of these guys who were there. In all honesty, I didn't even know about that game until after our, after the game finished. I, I, I've obviously, I, I keep an eye out on the history of the game, especially, you know, when it comes from my teams and, and countries. But I think you were with Hong Kong back at that point, Cambo. Yeah, yeah, I would have been, a, been in Hong Kong. But he actually spoke about that game afterwards. You know, we were having, sitting around having a beer and he spoke about it and how they literally threw away the greatest opportunity they'd ever had. And that was through inexperience and, you know, guys taking the gas and not knowing what to do. Whereas I guess now when we come, what, eight years later, with the amount of cricket we've had against top teams – I'm not saying that you're never going to lose that uh, the gas truck coming because sometimes the pressure of situations, it happens. But, you know, I, I think I'm hoping that we're a lot better prepared. And like I say, the, the one thing that I've tried to install in the, all these players is, is a sense of calmness and to think your way through the situation. And that's what happens. Sometimes everything goes on so fast and everything's rushing and you're rushing out there and you everything's in it. You don't actually have a chance to stop take a breath, and if I could just pluck you out of the situation and, and put you up on a hill looking down, what do you need? What is the situation of the game? Let's take all, away all the pressure, all the anxiety, all the yelling, the screaming, sit up on that hill and go, okay, what does this pair need to do to play? Or in the field, what do we need? And I guess that's what I always speak about. Take yourself out of the situation just for a second. Think about it. And that's why I think T20 is a wonderful game because – you need to have problem solvers all the way through who can think on their feet. You know, we, we all know about analyst systems. We know about, you know, matchups, all this sort of stuff. And they're brilliant. And any team that doesn't use them is sticking their head in their sand. But there is a big but. If you can't have the ability to think on your feet and think outside the square when a matchup's not working or this, that, and the other, or someone throws a curveball at you, then you're lost. And that happened earlier this year when I think uh, we played New Zealand and Satna came out to bat at number three. And Scott said afterwards, Scott Edwards afterwards as a captain said, it completely threw me off because all the work I'd done, all the study, everything, that. why didn't you tell us? And it was like, wait, mate, Satna has never batted at number three in a T20 international ever. So how can we throw that up to you and give you those, those sort of things? It's, mate, okay, it's a left-hander. There's a short boundary and the breeze is going that way they've tried to change their batting order up but if you can't think on your feet then you're in trouble and that's why I love about T20 is it's the problem solvers that are the best players and that's that's what I love watching how those sort of guys go about their work yeah that's an interesting point because being lucky in the situation I've been working on the tournament where we've been able to sit down and interview some people who have done some amazing things in cricket and they all sort of said the sim the, a similar thing. They said, look, T20 cricket in a way is, is a game for the elder statesmen because they've seen and experienced so much that 
they do get the chance to sit down and just take it a little bit slower and they know exactly what they need to do in every situation you can go back and find countless examples of players who are probably on their sort of in the sort of twilights of their careers doing unbelievable things in in t20 cricket because they just have that split second to kind of compartmentalize you know an example that that Watto brought up was that you know he made a, an IPL hundred in a final for Chennai at thirty seven or something and bolted in. So it, it takes all of that experience and to bring it back to to someone like Scott who's just taken the captaincy from Peter Saylor. One thing that that struck me while we were kind of sat there in one of the press conferences, I think it was pre India game. It was just so how calm he was in that situation. I'm sure there hasn't been many media opportunities he's been a part of where the whole room is filled with journalists. You know, granted, 80% of them were India journalists or journalists that were India-centric, but he showed this kind of, he exhibited this calm, which it was a great sort of impression for me because on this particular day, you guys were a little bit late, you know, getting off the bus and getting to, to training at the Nets. Uh, I think the press conference was meant to start about 20 minutes before it did. And he still sat down. He still gave himself a little bit of time just to say, look, I'm here apologies for all that, blah, blah, blah. And the way that he led the team, I thought, was was quite mature as well. So for him, I know that he obviously played a lot of, a lot of cricket in Australia, so he had that sort of going for him. But what do you think he kind of brings to, to the table as a captain, having, you know, brought him, having sort of come in as a captain only recently, almost without notice given Peter's uh, retirement there and that, that snap retirement in, in the series against England? Yeah, it's probably something that he wasn't expecting to do so quickly. You know, obviously, we had always tried to plan for the afterlife of Peter Saylor, and we we obviously knew his back was struggling. The hope was, the honest truth was, the hope was that he would go to the World Cup, though. You know, at the start of the year, him and I sat down over a beer in uh, New Zealand, and we tried to plot it out how we were going to get him through the summer and also to get him to the World Cup because I felt that he deserved to go to a World Cup and a, a fitting way to finish, but also... We needed a, a problem solver and a guy who could think on his feet uh, very quickly. And, and obviously, when, when that didn't happen, you know, Scott was our vice captain and Scott was the guy that we felt was in a position as a wicketkeeper. And being the next wiki, I felt that in T20, a wiki's in the best spot to pull the strings, basically, the fielding, the bowlers, all that sort of stuff. So has Scott got a long way to go? Of course he has. He's only a young leader and he'll find his way and his knowledge of the game will get deeper and deeper. I thought he underused our spinners, for instance, in the whole World Cup. We're, we're generally, we talk about our fast bowlers a lot, but we've always had two spinners in our team as well because either Ackerman, Ruloff, Sailor, you know, we had Pringle as well. We generally play two spinners as well. We need to use those guys to get through some overs. So that was probably an example of his inexperience because he just felt, oh, there's a short boundary there. We can't bowl spin, which if a spinner bowls well, mate, you can do it, no problem at all. But look, I, I think... He brings a calmness. He is quite calm. Uh, the personality he is. He's learning all the time. And now he has an opportunity to take this young squad. You know, Steph Myberg's retired, so that gives us an opportunity to play. I keep saying us, but it's them. They have an opportunity to, you know, a Vikram Singh will probably play more. You know, we've still got the Aryan Dutts. We've still got Cherise Ahmed. We've got some young batters in Boris Gourlay who, who might be used as well. It's a Jack Cooper is coming through the ranks in, in Queensland cricket where, you know, obviously is the brother of Tom and Ben and, and is very much a Dutch kid who, who might come through our ranks as well. So we have to spot those young talent, but Scott's going to have to look after them all. And that that's the, the, the role as a, as a leader. So 
I'll be very interested to see how he goes, and I've no doubt he'll be successful. And um, you know, because he got he's got a good bond with all the blokes as well, which is very important as a captain. Yeah, I think one of the things I liked about Edward's leadership as well was that he's you know he's proactive and he and he does try things. I, I'm just thinking as well, sort of comparing that to Peter Zayla, who was captain. You know, the whole time you were coach, you know, often the collaboration between the captain and the coach is is one of the most important bits of teamwork in, in, in the whole setup. So how would you describe just looking back on, on your, I guess, your time mostly overlapping with Peter Zaylar and, and that, yeah, partnership? Yeah, well, it's vital is probably the word that springs to mind because if a captain and coach aren't on the same page, then you're in trouble. You know, my job was always to prepare the team, but once they step over that line, I'm not a guy you'll see yelling and screaming from the sidelines. It's Peter Saylor's team, and he it's up to him to make his decisions. We inform him and give him, load him up with as much information as he wants, but then it's up to him to to work out his plan and use those players accordingly. And Pete was very good at that. And, of course, also as the captain, and I spoke about it earlier, about taking yourself out of the situation and sitting on the hill, that as a coach is sometimes what you have to remind the captain to do because my job is not just to see the now. When I'm sitting on the hill, I'm looking about the now, but I'm also looking about the two years down the track and the three years down the track and the four years down the track. And to have the now, I need a couple of these youngsters who are going to play then and then – I need to understand that Pete Saylor might be finishing about here, so I need to also get him helping the next guy to take over the team and all those sort of things. So there's a lot of moving pieces going on, but at the end of the day, if your captain and coach aren't strong and together, of course we can disagree on things. Mate, we used to disagree on a lot of things, but we would sit there and not leave a room until we sorted it out and worked out, you know what, this is what, here's Pete, this this is what I think, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, but Cambo, oh, I'm thinking this, this. Yeah, okay, I get that. But how can we do this? You work it out. And if you don't have that bond, it's very hard to work it out. And again, Scott and Ryan Cook, they're the captain and coach for the, for this summer. So they've formed that bond. I've no doubt they've formed that bond and they're working their way through it. So if that's the leadership going forward, then they have to work out the way they're going to do it. How are we going to do it? How are we going to get the next good players to come through? How are we going to make our current crop even better? And all those sort of questions need to be answered. So, yeah, wherever I go next, you know, I know my first port of call (laughs) will be ringing the captain, meeting him down the pub for a beer and having an hour conversation about, okay, where are we? What do we do? How do we connect? Where? What are you thinking? What am I thinking? What What are the issues? What can I fix? As the new guy, I can. I've got the. I've got the freedom to fix a few things. That's the very liberating thing of when you first start as a coach. You've usually got a three or four year contract up your sleeve, so you can go in as hard as you want to get things uh, moving. But a captain will know what his side needs, and like I say, that that bond, that relationship is key to any good team going forward. Uh so. Yeah, looking forward. I mean, you 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 have the I suppose a privilege of being able to to sit back and and see what Dutch cricket do next. Where do you think you know, given say a, a three to sort of five year time period, where do you see Dutch cricket going? It's a great question. You know, like I say, hopefully the qualification of the next World Cup gives the administration a chance to get their ducks in order and get us more sponsorships and things like that, which. Is really vital. So you can then sink the money into the program and to be investing into these young up and coming young players. 
you know, at the end of the day, let's not gloss over the fact we only got six contracted players in the whole of Netherlands, and that's always been an issue. We've got a lot of part-time people playing and working and, and stuff like that. So there still needs to be a, a, a continuation of the professionalism of, of the game here. When you look at the squad, it's a pretty cool age group. You know, when you look at it, our fast bowlers are from 24 to 28, really. Our batting group, you know, except for obviously Steph Myberg stepped away, but, you know, the rest of the guys are under 30. Tim Pringle is 20 years of age, who could be an absolute superstar. We'll probably end up playing for New Zealand because he's an absolute gun. But, you know, he's a, a youngster that, you know, could take cricket anywhere. Rulof Vandermeer is probably one guy that you'd think, okay, so how far has Ruler got left? And, you know, he's been an absolute war horse for us. So when you look at the playing stocks and then you look under who didn't go to the World Cup, the Aryan Dutz, Philip Boussevain, all those sort of youngsters, I think they're in a pretty good position. I humbly believe they are. Now it's up to the administrators of the game. And again, sadly, in associate cricket, we always talk about good administration and not so good administration because it does vary a lot. And if they can get it right, I've no doubt that they can take cricket forward in this country. And, you know, European cricket is going through the roof with the the influx of of the Asian community and the Afghanistan refugees. We've seen Germany, which is a great story. And, you know, it's going, it's booming. And the Dutch have to be a part of that and they have to go forward with it. And, uh, you know, hopefully when I look at, pick up a newspaper in three or four years' time, I'm seeing the Dutch, the Irish and the Scots are still, you know, some of the powerhouses of world cricket. A, a great way to finish. Once again, an absolute pleasure to have Ryan Campbell talking all things Dutch and associate cricket. Good luck with uh, whatever your endeavours are next. We'll look with bated breath, and I'm sure even if it's not in the associate circles, we can get behind you in some respect. But great to chat all things cricket. Congratulations on uh, on a great uh, year of international cricket for the Netherlands. You've gone out on a high, and uh, good luck for, for whatever's next. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.